for those in attendance and USC fans watching around the world. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. Live with the best father and son team on the internet. It's time for Homie and the Dude. Welcome everyone to our father and son podcast, Homie and the Dude. We are so pleased to be joined by the legendary man behind the impeccable suits, signature UFC ring announcing voice, and a whole lot more. Welcome, Bruce Buffer. How's it going? Hi, gentlemen. How are you? Happy to be on the show. I've never, I don't think I've ever been interviewed by a father-son before, but this is pretty cool. Thanks, man. We, we really appreciate that. It's, a, it's part of the allure, we like to think. Um, uh, I wanted to jump in and ask you a question because obviously you got a lot of tools um, in your kit, you know, that you utilize. You got a couple of black belts, but obviously the voice is one of the most prolific, one of your most valuable tools in, uh, in your tool bag. What are you doing to maintain your voice outside of like UFC stuff? And then I also wanted to ask, what is your routine pre like uh, pre going into the octagon? Like, do you have a warm up routine? Like, break us down what it looks like when you get to the apex and like what your warm up is before going on. You know, um, it's really very simple and and really very simple. Just don't damage your throat. You know, no smoking, anything that's going to affect the throat, whatever. And then when I'm doing the show. At the show on my table, I always have a jar of honey and Hall's mentholiptus drops or Ricola. <clears throat> Very simply, honey is like the best thing you can do. I'll just take the honey, let it go down my throat. When I started announcing before, I used to like really come from here and I'd be hoarse after a show. But you might ask yourself, how do singers get by singing one, two, 90 minute sets a night, you know, in Vegas or something, five, six nights a week? They bring it up from the diaphragm. So when I'm out there doing my 30, 40 minutes of actual activity, it's, it's like a football game, three hours of football, but there's actually maybe 22 minutes of action. So in eight hours of a, six hours of UFC, I'm probably actually voicing maybe 45 minutes of the, of that whole period. So it's just taking care of it and just not abusing it. That's all it is. Maybe a little tea or whatever. As far as my routine um, right now with the apex, it's again, it's simple. We get there, we're tested for COVID we're quarantined. So uh, Friday night, I work on the cars. I get my prep done. I've already worked on it for two hours before I got there. Once the weights come in and the final stats, I've got another hour to two hours of work. If you ever see the cars, I color code them and, and I do special writing on them. Um, and that's for my own little edification of what I'm announcing. And then I usually just train at night and play some online poker and watch some good movies unless I have a friend with me. And uh, that doesn't happen that often anymore because we can't, you know, you can't bring people to the shows. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not a super exciting environment. It's more like just get there, get to work. Before the show, I don't rehearse. I, I, I just, I'm not into rehearsing. Um, I want to be organic. I want to be live. There's a rehearsal voice and there's a live announcer voice. I don't want to get mixed up between the two. If anything, I'll make sure I have the phonetics down for um, the, uh, the event at hand as far as all the names, everybody that I've got to deal with and uh, get those down and make sure I'm in sync with John Anik, whoever the commentators are, and then go on and do my thing. I just want to get out there and feel the, the energy of the crowd, where in this day and age, <clears throat> we don't have a crowd, mm. right? But at the same time, uh, what we do have is we have, you know, the people in the audience, but we have the fighters, and I'm always about the eye of the tiger. I stare into the fighter's eyes. I give them my all, whether there's 50,000 in attendance or whether there's 50 in attendance. And that's why I think it's more important now than ever 
that I give as much energy as possible to what's happening in the octagon. Hundred percent. So cool. I love yeah. love that mentality. Absolutely love that mentality. Now, um, obviously, you've just mentioned that it's it, there's been a big change both in your life within your profession and within the UFC as, as a whole in terms of the amount of people within the arenas. What adjustments have you had to make um, in terms of your actual performance, or if any, uh, for these for these empty arenas? You know, not really. Mm. It's just more of a mindset. Yeah. It's more of a mindset of um, <clears throat> understanding what I'm going out to, accepting it. And uh, at first, maybe it was a little bit different. But when I'm announcing, I'm focused on the fighter, like I said before, I don't even see the fans. I mean, it's not that I block them out. I love the fans. Don't get me wrong. I'm feeding off their energy. But it's me, you know, standing in front of the eye of the tiger. The man that's about a man or woman that's going to go out there and put their blood, sweat, tears, and lives on the line for our entertainment. It's all about me giving them their all <clears throat> to enhance them at that moment, as well as enhance the fans watching on TV. Every I always say this in every interview. <clears throat> every night I walk out, it's my very first show. I have to prove to myself the powers of be the fans, you, the media, uh, and the fighters, especially that I deserve this job. I don't take anything for granted. So I go out to give my all every night. I don't care if it's a fight night or a pay per view. It's going to get everything I got. And that's what I live on. I will not sit down and talk about the 360 I did at UFC 100 or how loud. I'll talk about the fights, how great they were, but not what I did. I, I'm only as good as the day I perform. And, and 25 years in this game, I've been that way since day one. And that's the way I'll be till day zero when I stop. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let me ask you this, because you're in a really interesting situation. And I, I just remember growing up, like in high school or something, there would be a fight. And immediately, you know, in the back schoolyard or something like that, you're, if you're part of the crowd, your, your heart starts beating. And even now, like if there's a big fight from afar, we're watching a pay-per-view and Bodhi and I will talk about it if we're on a live stream commenting on it. We're, you know, we'll say we're really nervous right now. And you're literally between the two guys that are going to square off. And so has that, has that progression of you being in there 25 years ago at, with the likes of some of those early legends all the way through the hundreds and maybe even thousands of fights at this point, um, do you, do you get the butterflies? Did you used to, how, how does that, how does that evolve? No, I don't get butterflies. I got nervous in my very first UFC. I got nervous at the first full one I did, which was UFC 10. I don't get butterflies. I get adrenaline. I get excited. You know, the, the, uh, the bigger the fight, the more exciting it is, the bigger the audience, the more exciting it is, the bigger the event, the more exciting it is. Um, the moment I see the best UFC fight or event three months later, I see the greatest fight or event. It's never, never ending entertainment. Right. So I look forward to every night of what that night expectations might be. It can go beyond or below. You never know. So yeah. I never know until I'm there. It's, it's, uh, it's <laughs> I always say it's Boy Scouts go to camp and let's watch the fights, man. It's, it's an awesome experience. That's and awesome. I've been doing it for 25 years and I'm more passionate than ever. So I'll give you a little behind sort of uh, sort of peek behind the kimono for us. We have something that we refer to as our uh, El Dorado list, our El Dorado list of guests, right? And so you're on the El Dorado list and that is like our sweet spot of like, man, if we got those guests, how cool would that be? And just Never. having that is, you know, generates some energy, some, you know, some adrenaline, all of that. So what, who is on your El Dorado list when you think of, you know, you're standing between some individuals that are either legendary or coming up or who are the guys that you look at and you're like, wow, this, this, this guy's special. Well, there's a number of them. I mean, you, the fighters come along that have the it factor, you know, like every few years, you know, Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, Israel Adesanya, Chuck Liddell, you know, the, these type individuals come along, they have an it factor beyond their skill in fighting. Um, you know, 
I treat everybody with respect and I treat everybody as an individual. It's like, I moved from Philadelphia to Malibu one time, of course, one time, uh, when I was 15, my parents moved out there. So suddenly I'm going from Philadelphia, the land of brunettes and, you know, all that kind of stuff and, and fun and everything to the land of blondes and movie stars. And it's kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, we were middle-class moving out to Malibu. So suddenly I'm shopping beside Steve McQueen or Vincent Price or, you know, Goldie Hawn or whatever. And, and people say, well, what is it like to meet a movie star, you know? And I've only been intimidated by two movie stars I ever met because I had this experience growing up around them. And they were John Wayne when I was nine years old in Texas at the premiere of True Grit. I still remember it to this day. And um, Steve McQueen, when I first met Steve, who became a very, very good friend of mine for the last six years of his life because I was such a big fan of his before I ever moved out to Malibu. But my dad always said, they're people, you know, recognize them as people appreciate them as people. So aside from the allure that great fighters bring when I'm standing in between them, like the great Randy Couture, or to stand beside George St. Pierre, you know, and I can go on and on and on. It's just, there's never one that, out, that stands out, although there's a lot that stand out. And I think they all deserve their just due. I can't say one's better, one's bigger, one's this. There's just so many great ones. And that's, again, gets back to the beauty of my job. You know, awesome. I have the, the ability to experience literally for 25 years, the greatest fighters that have ever graced the face of the earth. And I'm talking in boxing too. I've been in boxing for over 30 years. So, I mean, whether it's Tyson, Ali, you name it, I've had the pleasure of meeting all these and seeing them and, and I can go on and on and on. That's the beauty of it. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I got to write another book. Who knows? Another one. There's another one coming. <laughs> you got another one coming. Eventually, I'm pretty sure there will. There may be something else. I'll, well, there, I'm working on something else I'm going to make a big announcement on, but I can't talk about it right now. Nice. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, nice. Well, you mentioned Philadelphia. So um, I, I, I kind of grew up outside of Philadelphia. So I was going to ask you about Pats or Geno's. And then you mentioned Malibu. And I actually stayed in Malibu for about uh, eight months before I met my wife. And I stayed right above Leo Carrillo State Beach and uh, literally looking down on Neptune's net uh, as I was uh, kind of, you know, figuring out what I was going to do with myself at 25. So I've, I've kind of experienced a couple places that you've grown up in as well. That's pretty cool. I mean, Neptune's net, I probably sat on the beach there wondering what I was going to do at 25 a couple of times. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, you brought back some memories with those two points. Yeah. No yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and as far as celebrities, that's a place as well. I think I saw Jack Lemon there and Willem Dafoe there uh, at Neptune. So that's a real, like it was either Harley Davidson's or surfers there on, on any given day. Yeah, it's like the movie Point Break when he met uh, the girl at the, at the cafe. That's Neptune's right there. And uh, Jack Lemon, I used to be, my first job was the uh, busboy at uh, Paradise Cove restaurant when they first opened, uh, going back way years ago, back in 74. And on Saturday night, we would close at 1030. But at 11 o'clock, Jack Lemon and Felicia Farr, his wife, he used to live on Broad Beach there. And he would come in every Saturday night. And we'd always ask for me to wait, you know, wait and say I was a busboy. But I would go to his table and he was bombed off his ears. I mean, he, he loved to drink. He was always bombed, which I say that with respect. He's one of the greatest actors ever in Hollywood. And he would sit me down and just tell me stories, you know? And I mean, these are moments you don't, you don't forget as a kid. I don't forget that. Incredible. I mean, I, I would like every Saturday night, I, I couldn't wait to work late to sit down and see one of my favorite actors of all time who just would sit there and tell me about Hollywood or tell me these great stories. Like more valuable than any dollar that he could have given me, you know? <laughs> hundred percent. I'm sure, I'm sure he enjoyed having an ear to, uh, to, to grace with his stories. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure he enjoyed I should have brought a bottle of my puncher's chance. He would have enjoyed it a lot more. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you because, you know, you, you just mentioned, you know, you got to treat 
you know, celebrities like people and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You have mentioned before that you come from a place of respect, that the word yes. respect and respect for you is massive in your life. Yes. I wanted to understand something because obviously um, in, in, in your life, you've also partaken in martial arts and a few other things. Was the respect there before martial arts and that's what led you to martial arts or did martial arts build some of that respect into your character um, in the early years of your life? It's a good question. The respect was uh, way before that because my father and my mother, the, the upbringing I had, my parents are part of the greatest generation, the World War II generation. My dad was uh, in the Marines and well, he started in the Navy, but he was in the Marines for 13 years, served in World War II in Korea and was a drill instructor at Camp Pendleton, hand-to-hand -hand combat instructor, the whole bit beyond everything else he did as a master sergeant. And um, never graduated high school, brilliant individual, read incessantly every week, educated himself and ran Fortune 500 companies as vice president, and taught me about sales, taught me about entrepreneurship and everything, but he taught me respect, you know, and it's kind of a John Wayne theory. I treat people the way, I, this is my dad, I treat people the way I want to be treated and um, I will not be disrespected. And my dad probably got me in more fights and introduced me to more women than any best friend that I ever had in my life, total old breed. Uh, and all I can say is that that's what he taught me. And if you're disrespected, you deal with it. Somebody puts their hands on you, you deal with it. Uh, you stand your ground, you be a man and you show respect to everybody around you, right? And that's why I say in my podcast, be a role model to your sphere of influence and show respect to everybody around you. And I really mean that, that's what I live by. That's my code of ethics. If you want to F with that, that's your problem, you know? 100%, so it's really, 100%. It's a really interesting space because, as you said uh, in, in previous interviews, you, you perceive yourself mostly as a, or firstly, let's say, as a marketer and a businessman before an announcer and a fan yeah. before an, a fight announcer. Um, yeah. But all of that, along with being a person of desiring respect and giving respect, there are times when people step into your space, right? And it's really tough to navigate. Am I being a dick right now? Or am I just sort of defending my space? And sometimes you can come away from that and think, you know what, I maybe stepped a little bit too far. And other times you can say, you know, I, this was an, an appropriate amount of, you know, sort of defending my domain. How, how do you, because I'm sure you're just approached all the time by this. So how, how do you navigate that? Well, it's just, again, it's real simple. It's a three-foot theory. I have a three-foot theory. I want everybody to be happy, prosperous, and healthy around me. If you want to come into my three-foot uh, three space and you want to interfere with those three points, then you shouldn't enter my space. And the best way, the best self-defense possible is not to put yourself in a situation. So I will not let anybody enter my space. If you enter my space, then we have to deal with that, whatever that might be. And I'm not saying getting physical all the time. It's not my choice. Has it happened? Sure, I've been involved in that more times than I can remember in my life. But this is not the day and age you want to get involved in that because we live in a Sue happy society. We live in a, a criminal, you know, a decaying society, morality. People don't treat people with respect as a rule the way they used to. In the United States, we've gone from the United States of America to the divided states of America. There's so much division going on here. So it has become sort of a Darwinian theory of survival of the fittest. And you've got to take care of yourself. And granted, with me right now at this point in time, it's all about what is best for my family and my loved ones to protect and to serve my family and my loved ones and to show respect to everybody around me. And if you want to violate any of that, then Houston, we have a problem. And I'd rather just avoid it. <laughs> Thanks for watching this episode. We really appreciate you supporting Homie and the Dude. Please hit us with the Holy Trinity, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram. Just search at Homie and the Dude. It all really helps. 
you know what? I, I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a great way to be. And I, I appreciate that as well as, you know, as someone in my life who, you, you know, you're, you're a male role model for me as a, as a younger chap and to hear that, you know, it's, it's something that's awesome, you know, and, and at the end of the day, respect is something that is both earned and given and it's something that everyone deserves and 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 it should be the first thing it should be the first thing that arrives at a situation so i think that's amazing you know that you said that um i wanted to ask you know obviously you you said you know your parents are from this amazing generation and you're 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 in this uh, in this headspace of what some like younger generation some of the, like the gen x gen z lot would say is you know of older thinking you know um could you have predicted the world that we're in now? Because like this, this is crazy. What we're dealing with at the moment is wild. I know that you've, uh, you've in your head, uh, you know, foretold some things with like the UFC and stuff like that. But how are you, how are you feeling about dealing with this world and navigating it yourself? Well, let me step back a second and say thank you for mentioning that you, you appreciate the respect factor because I think all of us that are in the eye of the public have a, uh, a responsibility. It's like I always say, and I, I used to tell this to Randy Couture, and I've told it to everybody to a large extent, including John Jones, when I thought he was going to sway off the end mentally the way he was handling himself. And I wrote about that in my book. We have to be a role model to the sphere, to the people that are watching. And to hear you say that means that, that I'm doing something right, that, that what I want to do is correct. If you recognize that as a young individual, because you don't have a lot of role models to follow these days, you know, and, and some of them that look like role, role models maybe sometimes fall off that pedestal as like a Conor McGregor did in his career. And I was very happy to see Conor McGregor um, handle himself the way he did at the last fight island fight with mm -hmm. respect. This is the Conor McGregor I love. And this is the Conor McGregor that's, that's an image of the sport, right? And, and I'm so happy and I hope, I really, really hope he maintains that because it's so valuable, especially to people like yourself and, and the generations around you. It's very, very valuable. So now you have to sort of ask that question again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. It's, it's totally fine. I, I guess, uh, actually, just going off of that, I agree with you. Seeing Conor McGregor act like what I call, at least what me and Tom call, a true martial artist, you know, the the the, the level of that Anderson Silva brings when he gets into the octagon, when he's, you know, respectfully, you know, on his knees at the end of a fight. And, you know, that kind of thing is what martial arts, when it was devised, was all about. And what it is what it what it has drifted so far away from these days interestingly because you know in some ways the publicity and the media is what sells fights but sadly you know people that do show the respect do go in there and you know two guys that put it all on the line and at the end shake each other's hand often get overlooked as opposed to you know the louder people the colby covingtons the the conor mcgregor's a few years ago you know the people who are being loud and, and, and boisterous and i think don't get me wrong. There's a balance to be held within that. There's showmanship, and there's also uh, and there's also respect. And I think uh, seeing McGregor like this, I, I fully agree with you. I think it was a really beautiful transition into something that I can only hope continues later in his career. If it continues, then I mean, I'm not. I listen. I know Col uh, Colby, and he and we get along great. Colby Colby's actually really cool with me, and I know he has a tendency to spout off the way he does. Um, I bowed to Anderson Silva and I bowed to Randy Couture, the only two fighters I ever bowed to in my life. And there's a reason it's because of everything we're talking about. Would I bow to Conor McGregor at a moment now? No, but if he goes on for the next 10 years and fights or five years, the way he's doing now, then he would have had such a glorious career with his hit factor and everything else that he will be one of those less than maybe five fighters in my lifetime before I retire, I will ever bow to. So he has that potential. Okay. Mm. And again, you can sell a fight. Anderson Silva's had a million plus pay-per-view buy shows 
and he's Anderson Silva. You don't have to be, you know, you can be any way you want to sell a fight and that's your choice as a personality. But I'm all about class and I, and I know, I know I could sell a fight with the class. And if I ever say the F bomb, you better know when you hear it come out of my mouth, I mean it. It's yes. not about saying it 25 times in four sentences. It's under saying it once and meaning it. So there's ways to sell fights, but it's all about the maturity factor. The, when I say that, I say that with respect, you know, you're dealing with fighters in their twenties, they're finding themselves, they're learning about themselves, they're learning their personalities. There is a right to make some mistakes, but not bad mistakes, you know? Like I always say, the first time you do something, it's a learning experience. Now, if you do it again, then it's a mistake. Don't make mistakes, right? Create learning experiences and learn from them. Exactly it. I got you're talking about Anderson Silva and Randy Couture, and there's a there's an element of you being almost like a a, a fortune teller, a, a, a you know sort of a genie ball guy that had known early on and had taken what they call in in England taking a punt a punt is taking a risk right um not not getting maybe your fair share of of what you thought would be the salary at the time or the travel expenses at the time you know you've mentioned that you were you know working for short money and traveling in roach coach hotels and all of this but you saw that this place this thing was going to go somewhere and yeah. you, you hitched you hitched yourself onto that, and here you are, twenty five years later. So yeah. here's a question: Knowing that you have that talent <laughs> to foresee the future, right? <laughs> Pull your yeah. genie ball out right now and look ten years ahead. And what do you see with the UFC, or maybe even mixed martial arts, ten years from now? Well, I think ten years from now we'll be in the Olympics. I think it's definitely going to make the Olympics at some point. But we just take. Uh, was it judo and boxing and taekwondo and you put them all together and you know greco-roman you've got mixed martial arts maybe there won't be knees and elbows but there'll be mixed martial arts it's going to happen um i believe that'll happen the ufc is going to go on to become as popular as it is in all the countries it is while it's breaking grounds in other countries going through the evolutionary process it did in every other country to accept it and everything else it'll probably be fully accepted all over the world which it pretty much is getting there and become even bigger than it's been so I just see it being marketed the same, the talent that's coming along that we see and young kids, 15, 18, what they're going to be like in the octagon when they're in their twenties and their thirties. It's just, again, it's, it's like football, bigger, stronger, faster. I mean, we're going to see amazing martial, mixed martial artists coming along and it's just going to create more and more entertainment because what we're dealing with is the basic simplistic thing of the oldest sport in the world, which is called two men and two women standing in front of each other to take each other's head off and fight. Mm. can't evolve that too much more all you can do is add all the personalities coming into it manage it properly mm. and provide the entertainment and it'll just keep going right yeah. it's one thing in business i've been involved in so many businesses being the brand you know brander that i am marketer that, that i consider myself and respectfully like to enjoy saying that i am um you don't have to always reinvent the wheel just keep it going the hardest part of business is not going up it's when you get there is maintaining that area so what the UFC is now is in the position where they want to maintain and grow. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of smarts, a lot of consistent work. And again, as I said before, at the post-press fight conference, I bow to Dana White. I mean, this man's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and he still works up every day hungry and passionate to make the UFC the biggest thing that it could possibly be in the world. And like I said at, the, at that conference, I go, how can you not want to work for somebody like that, right? Yeah, 100%. I got to be motivated too. I, I spent my whole life self-motivating myself. It's nice to be motivated by the people around me. Dana does 100%, 100%. Yeah. 
that is it's so true having people who are motivated around you leads you to success in your own life in ways that you know are, are unbelievable it, it's the rule of socialize with people that are equal level or higher than you in terms of what you want to achieve on the spectrum um i want to ask um you know you, you you've given us a little prediction there what do you think are going to be some of the biggest like problems that the, the the mixed martial arts world is going to face whether it be um you know the whole fighters uh unionizing um is it going to be that the ufc is going to be struggling with the other um organizations that are going to start flitting up into popularity like what do you think the biggest risk for the ufc is in the next couple of years in terms of in terms of that the biggest risk yeah like like what, what what's what's possibly going to be the biggest problem for the ufc is it going to be other organizations is it going to be the fighters as a union uh no. do, do you have any idea about that or or none no, you, whatsoever you watch, you've watched the ufc now for almost 30 years what happens it's kind of like the nfl you never stop playing for the nfl you don't go to the cfl if you're in the nfl if you have mm -hmm. to of course you do right mm -hmm. With all respect, Bellator, Legacy, all these other MMA organizations are out there, Cage Rage, all the ones even in England. The UFC is the rocket ship that took off first. The UFC is the rocket ship that is breaking ground for everybody in the sport. You want the UFC to continue to be the number one, the Kleenex to the tissue, the Xerox to the copier, that it is growing and propelling and leading the charge. They have the money, they're spending the money, they've broken barriers. It will continue to be successful so that everybody else can be successful. Okay. Mm -hmm. As far as unionization, I will say that I honestly don't think that will ever take place. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they go into a union and they tell every organization out there as an example, well, the UFC gives the fighters 10,000 to show and 10,000 to win. So if we're a union, you've got to give the fighters 10,000 to show and 10,000 to win. How many other organizations can afford to do that? Aside from a $50,000 bonus for the performance of the night, which many, many times the very first fight of the night has received as a prelim, right? Let's be realistic about all this, okay? Now, granted, I don't know everything involved here, but my initial look at it off the top of my head is that. And people say, too, they say, well, hey, the UFC, they don't pay the fighters the way Mayweather gets, you know, $40 million and top right. Well, you know what? If you go to top ranks offices or De La Hoya's offices, you're not going to see 500 employees. You're not going to see... 50,000 square foot of offices with gyms and apexes and Shanghai offices and this and, and gazillions and gazillions of dollars being spent on promotional advertising. That's where that money goes. That money goes to take care of that. And does Dana and the powers that be have a right to make money? Absolutely. They're the ones leading the pack. They deserve everything to make the money. Are the fighters making millions and more money than they can make in any other MMA organization possible? Pretty much, yes. Sure, you hear about a million dollar tournament over here or you mirror but granted. But like everything in life, the top one, 2% are the ones that make all the money. That's the way it is in everything, yeah. right? But if you look at what UFC is doing for those young fighters coming in and providing them income and providing two, three fights a year where they can make themselves 30, 40, 50, 60,000 gross or maybe more, right? And start building their branding. I mean, you can't criticize this. I mean, you can, they do it all the time, but I don't, yeah. I don't. I mean, I was the one that was announcing Rampage Jackson when he made $500 at King of the Cage. And then he goes back to the UFC, makes over 13 million. And I love you, Rampage. You're my brother. You're my blood brother. But you complain about the money you make. You just made $13 million or whatever it was. I mean, yeah. you, are you going to complain if you bank 13 million in a couple of years? Yeah. <laughs> Let's no. say it was that. Let's say it was six. Let's say it was five, whatever. It's, it takes care of its fighters and sure there's some that don't. And there's issues here that happen. That happens in every single business. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's true. 100%.
You, you think I'm passionate about what I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, to your point about Dana and his, uh, and I know you're on a tight schedule, so this will be the last one. Uh, to, to your point about Dana and his drive, dude, you have exceptional drive as a drive as well. You're you're about as spread as thin as uh, as anyone that we've known. So you've got. Let me just let me just understand this, and then you can backfill anything else. Right. You've got you got puncher's chance, Kentucky bourbon. You've got yeah. your custom personalized audio and video championship introductions, and that's for corporate events and for sporting events and weddings and birthdays and, you know, whatever, baby's births. Go to brucebuffer.com, and I'll take care of you, no problem. I'm on Cameo, too, which is I, I film like 10 a day. It's crazy. Nice. Um, you are a UFC announcer that does 36 at least-ish shows a year. What else do you got going on? Well, um, I've got the bourbon, which we're working on, which we just got rated a 9.5 taste rating out of 10 from the board that evaluates all the spirits in America. We're considered the highest rated bourbon at its price range in America, and we're selling like crazy. We're breaking records out of the gate. I'm very happy about it. Um, it's a big project. And then in the UK, I'm sided with a very, very strong international company, and I can make an announcement. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll give you guys a little thing. In about a month or two, you're going to be able to smell like buff. Let's put it that way. I'm coming out with my own toiletry line, the It's Time toiletry line. And we're going to start with cologne, Ooh. moisturizer, facial, soap. Uh, if you can see the bottles. Yeah, that's very, very fine. This will be in airports all over the world, in countries all over the world. It's already ready for huge distribution. Very excited about it. The scent, women even want to wear it. We're finding it's, it's incredible. So, you know what, I, I've always said handle yourself with class, but when you're out there in the dating world, those girls are taking care of themselves for you, my young man, friend, okay? <laughs> you want to take care of yourselves for your girlfriends too, trust me. It's a very, one little secret of life, right? And grooming is all part of it. So that's going to happen. And then I have a whole line of energy products, the most amazing energy products that would come out to drink, shots, bars, but it's going to be a natural form. It is a natural formula that actually an athlete can take before competition. And I will be making that announcement very soon. That'll be out by May or June. And the talk of the town about these products is tremendous. Where do you see this stuff? I can't show you that right now, though. That's awesome. So we got we got a, at least we got one launch today. Is it's the uh, it's time UK uh, branded toiletries, which is the the colognes and everything that are going to be in airports yeah. and, and other countries. So fantastic. It'll be all over. Yeah, be all over the UK. Um, it's it's going to be a big thing. You know, the summertime, you'll be able to have a lot of fun with it. And it's really good products, really good products. Amazing. I, I don't sign myself with something unless it's good. I won't. I, I'll always cash the paycheck, as I say, on a Monday morning at the bank, first one in line. But I turn down deals because in my business, in my life, you have to be a product of the products, believe in the product. And I want to represent the best of the best. And I, otherwise, I won't do it. I won't do it. Mm -hmm. Hundred percent, and you know, I guess I guess the, the the phrase is it's time to smell like Bruce Buffer. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to smell like Buff. If that's your choice, yeah. go right ahead. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think it's uh, I think it's great. And also, not only that, but in the uh, in the UK, if you say uh, smell like Buff, or the the term in the Buff usually means like naked as well. So it adds another whole another level of allure. That's awesome. Whatever makes your boat float, my friend. It's all good. <laughs> Um, so guys, this has been Homie and the Dude Father Son Podcast with the incredible, the legendary, the man of the hour, uh, Bruce Buffer. Thank you so, so much. We cannot tell you how much of an honor this has been to have you.
you on. Um, and guys, as always, hit us with the Holy Trinity, like and follow on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, and share one of our podcasts on any single one of your social media platforms. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, hey, Bruce. thanks very much. Big cheers, no fears to everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Awesome. We're chugging through. We're loving doing this stuff, you guys. Um, if you want to support us, if you want to make sure that we can keep getting, you know, better quality set, better quality lights, make the filming better. Bigger, um, bigger batteries for the camera. Bigger batteries for the camera. <laughs> yes. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can do that by just liking, following the page, and subscribing to the YouTube channel. That 